God bless you, and thanks so much for coming. It's good to be back again with you today. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring the service to you, wherever you are. And we hope you'll be encouraged today and blessed as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis at the start of the Bible? And that's where we're going to be today in chapter 1. Now, we'll put those verses up here in the video for you too, just to make it easier for you to follow along. You know, today we're continuing in our beginnings series. That's what we call our journey through the book of Genesis. In our book of beginnings, remember the Hebrew, Bereshit bara Elohim, et ha-shamayim ve-et ha-aretz. In the beginning... Bereshit, God created the heavens and the earth, the book of Genesis. And now we're ready to pick up speed and continue in Genesis from verse 2. Because last week we did verse 1. We spent a whole message on verse 1. But today we're going to do about 24 verses and pull us all the way up to within one verse of the end of chapter 1. I'd like to talk to you today about the preparation of earth for mankind. Now, remember that last week we talked about the universe being created by God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, some people say, well, doesn't nature reveal God to us? Why do we need the Bible to know Him? Well, nature reveals God's power and His greatness and His wisdom, but this revelation is not complete. To understand the heart of God and to know whether He loves you or not, and how much He cares for you, and how much He thinks about you, you need the Bible to provide you with a, a complete body of knowledge concerning God, the Creator of all things, the object of creation, and the sustainer of creation, by the way. God created the heavens and the earth. Men who do not accept God as a Creator must find other explanations for our existence. Problems with the theory of evolution are such that there's no new creation taking place at the time. We can't see it happening. People say, well, that's just because it happens over a long period of time. No, we'll go through the math later next week and we'll show the statistical absurdity of thinking that there's been enough time, even at 13.2 billion years for man to have come about by evolution. It's absurd, but people want you to think that you came from the, goo, from the goo through the zoo to you. That's not true. You have a noble purpose in life. You're unique among all the other creatures on earth. The hundreds of thousands of species and different things like that, and how come there's no second place creatures there designing spacecraft to go into space? How come there's no other creatures that design 777 aircraft to take people and members of their own species halfway around the world? How come there's no second place in sight at all? You're unique, and you're unique for a reason. The reason why you're unique is God created you in His image. Now, matter is constantly changing. And the trend is always downward. 
evolutionists would have you believe that, oh, you, we started out as goo and we came from mud and then we went to a little single-celled amoeba and somehow we evolved into this complex body with a vision system, a mind that thinks thoughts, all of these things. That doesn't happen in physics. I want you to understand that. Physics has entropy. In physics, everything always devolves from one state of organization to a lower state of organization. And if you don't believe that's true, just look at your kid's room. You cleaned it up just the other day, and now look, it's a mess again. That's the way, every, that's the way everything in creation is. It devolves into a less organized state. That's called chaos. It's not just a word, it's a theory. The theory of chaos has been proven over and over again. You put things in the garbage and that egg that you half finished yesterday for breakfast will be smelly and terrible and decomposing after a while. It doesn't grow into a beautiful souffle or a wonderful omelet just because you left it alone for a long time in that garbage can. No, that's chaos. That's life. That's physics. That's science. It always goes from a higher state of organization to a lower state of organization. The earth would have to be much older than it is to provide even the simplest cell an opportunity to evolve into functionality from goo and mud and whatever other combination of ingredients you want to put into it. And that's for even the simplest cell. Statistically, the math says you don't have enough time. We'll get into it next week, but the, the, the chances of your life as a man or as a woman being the result of an accidental combination of ingredients to combine in such a way as to make humankind, those chances are 1 in 10 to the 400th. Did you get what I just said? 1 in 10 to the 400th. Now, you know what that means? That's a one with 400 zeros after it. Well, guess what? You think there's enough time in 13.2 billion years to get to one and 10 to the 400th? Even if you had a new combination being tested through evolution every millionth of a second, you still wouldn't even get close. You would still be less than one to the 10 to the 20th power. And yet the chances needed for something like you to evolve in the conditions in this planet, in the conditions in our universe, in the conditions of life itself with the, just the right distance from the sun, just the right ingredients, just the right stuff that we can breathe and live, for the systems to be put in place, the visual system, to talk with the brain, the eyes and the optical nerve, all of these things, it takes one and 10 to the 400th one with 400 zeros after it, that's your chances that are against you from being evolved from the goo through the zoo to you. That's absurd. In fact, mathematicians even say anything greater than 1 in 10 to the 100th is a mathematical absurdity. It's not only unlikely to happen, it's not only impossible to happen, they even ridicule you for even entertaining such a thought. It's a mathematical absurdity, anything above 1 in 10 to the 100th. 
And yet scientists in the statistics today are saying the chances of you coming around from the goo through the zoo to you is one chance, one tiny chance, and one to the 10-400th, a one with 400 zeros after it. The lottery is only one in a few million, a one with six zeros after it. Oh, come on. You don't really believe evolution, do you? I know they teach it, but who among those that teach it have actually done the science and the math to figure it out? And the more intelligent, scientifically oriented proponents of evolution will now tell you that, well, you're right. It looks like things are against us. There's no way it could have evolved from all of these ingredients on earth. And so instead of believing in God because they're against God, they said, so we must have come from space. You laugh, but that's what they're saying. They're saying life must have happened. It must have come from somewhere out there in space because statistically it can't happen given all we know in current science today. It can't happen. You are unique. You were created for a reason by the Creator, and we know that He loves you. We talked about how prophecy last week, we spoke of it. If you need to go back and review that message, talk about how prophecy and fulfilled prophecy reveals that the creator, the author of this message in the Bible is God Himself. Why? Because no one knows the future except for God. And the fact that He could make all of these hundreds of prophetic utterances that are in this book and then have them come to pass to the crossing of every T and the dotting of every I, the fact that that happens proves that no one except for God could have authored that book. Oh yes, He spoke through men whom He inspired to print these words and men over 1,600 years, most of which did not even know each other. It's a message from God and it proves its authenticity and supernatural origin because of prophecy. Remember that. But now, after speaking about verse 1 all last year, we're going to talk about verse 2, and we're going to go into that. Now, remember something about God that we covered last week. It said that the Hebrew word for God is Elohim. Now, if you speak Hebrew, you know what I'm saying. Elohim with that im ending indicates plural. But yet it said in the first verse of Genesis, Bereshit bara Elohim. It says in the beginning God created. Well, that word for created is a very specific word in Hebrew. It's third person past tense singular. It's never used for plural. It's never used for more than one person doing the action. It's used to say that one person and a male person at that created all that is. And the word bara doesn't just mean you take some ingredients and you put them together. The word bara means you have nothing to work with and you speak it all into existence. You create everything from nothing. Only one person can do bara, and that's Elohim, God, our Heavenly Father. Bereshit bara, one person singular, past tense, Elohim. Bereshit bara, Elohim. Elohim implies plural. 
And we're going to see throughout the Bible that that's how he refers to himself. And all of these little clues that tell us he is not like us. He is not like you and I. He doesn't have flesh and bones as you and I have. Is God higher than you or I? Oh, yeah. Higher than we can imagine? Yes. Higher than we can comprehend? Absolutely. God is higher than we are. So why should it surprise you if He is three in one? Bereshit bara Elohim. This indicates the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit acted together to create the world. And together we get God's story. Not multiple gods, one God. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. In English, listen up, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. He is one, but He exists in a way that you and I cannot comprehend. Let's read the verses that we're going to talk about today. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament. Now check this out. Listen up. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which are above the firmament. And it was so. Now you know what a firmament is? It's the sky. It's the skies. Not talking about all the universe. It's the skies. That's what firmament means. God divided the waters that were under the firmament. He divided those to where some of those waters stayed there and other waters were placed above the skies. And then it says, And God called the firmament heaven. And so that now that's not heaven like heaven where he lives. That's heaven like the heavens that we look up to and see. Peer into the night sky and see the heavens that he created along with the earth. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under, heavens be, uh, let the, waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then verse 11 continues as we read our verses today and then we'll talk about them. It says in verse 11, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yields seeds, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, <clears throat> whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. Key words there. In the seed is in itself and according to its kind. You're going to see those words a few times here in Genesis 1. 
Then it continues and says, And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 14, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmaments of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verse 19, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then we wrap up our reading with these verses. Then God said in verse 20, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. and Let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning was the fifth day. Then God said, in verse 24, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle, creeping things, and the beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, you're saying, well, Pastor Stephen, why are you stopping at verse 25? Because verse 26 and on to the end of chapter 1 of the book of Genesis is a whole different message that starts next week. And we'll be going from verse 26 of chapter 1 in the book of Genesis all the way through chapter 2 of the book of Genesis next week. You do not want to miss that message. You know that I'm from a scientific background. You know that I do the math. You know that I do the science. In all my years, I've never found anything in the Bible that, contra that contradicted true science once the science has really been figured out. Oh, there's been times when scientists thought they had it figured out and it was being taught in the schools over and over again. And they said, well, God doesn't exist because science says this. And then after several years, sometimes decades or tens of years, they would say, well, we made a mistake. And then you would see, well, it looks like the Bible is true after all. And they, they, didn't, they still didn't believe on it. Many of the scientists do. But some said, well, we're going to go back to the drawing board and eventually we're going to prove that God doesn't exist. Now, I'm not saying scientists are godless people. There are many strong believers in the scientific community. I was a strong believer in the scientific community. But the more I see of science, even in our advanced ages today, and I've been in science for 40-something years, 
Even today, I have never seen anything that disproved the Bible. You wait a little bit longer, and the things that they're saying come into compliance. They come into order and line up with the Word of God. So next week, we cover the creation of man. It's going to talk about evolution. We're going to take that first verse and we're going to talk about how the earth thinks that it happened and how God says that it happened and show why God is right. Surprise, surprise, He's right. Again, He's right. Now, we said last week when we were talking about creation that one of the three theories that could exist for creation is that God created everything in six days and then He rested on the seventh day. The Bible says those words, but it doesn't really tell how long a day was. It doesn't tell if there were gaps between some of it and others. It doesn't say any of that. So that's one theory, the 6,000-year-old earth. And there are people that believe that. And that's fine. It's got a lot of things going for it in the Bible that speaks of that. But then you can also read the Bible and still be com completely in agreement with the Bible and think that it's talking about a gap in time that happened between the first verse of the Bible and the rest of that chapter. In the first verse, the Hebrew word was created. It's bara, meaning he made something out of nothing. And every time after that, bara is only used twice in the Bible. Every other time when God is making something, He's forming it. He's not using the word bara. He's using the word asa, yatsar. He's using the word to, to say that he's making it out of ingredients that were already made. He created everything when he barad the universe. But now he can use those various elements and things to make and form whatever he wants to make. So every time after he uses the word bara, like in the creation of man, he barad man, but then after that he formed man from the dust of the earth, that's a different word. That's based on asa. He made man from the dust of the earth. It didn't say he made him from nothing. He created him from nothing in chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. But in chapter 2 later we're going to see that he formed man. He made man a body from the dust of the earth. And that's what it used. That, it used that word asa to mean the assembling together of existing materials into a certain form or order. But then in the rest of the Bible, after ch chapter 1 in, in Genesis, I'm sorry, after verse 1 of chapter 1 in the book of Genesis, it says, but the earth be, was formless and void. Another way of reading that verse is the earth became wasteful and desolate. Now, some people who are proponents and believers of the gap theory think that there could have been some type of life on earth prior to the coming of man and that then there was this great ice age and for whatever reason this ice age set in, but these other life forms were destroyed. Now, proponents and believers of the gap theory say that there's a large amount of time after he created the universe but before he created man and the other animals. Well, that kind of makes some sense, and the Bible doesn't teach against that either. It doesn't give us details to support that, but it doesn't teach against that either. 
And that would explain the fossil record from seeing all these creatures that lived before who are now fossilized in the crust of the earth. That would explain it. And scientists even know that it was only around 10,000 years ago that we left what we call the last ice age that was covering the earth with ice. So it seems like maybe there could have been a cataclysmic event, an asteroid hitting the earth and volcanic eruptions and everything that clouded out the atmosphere and you could not breathe anymore and these creatures could not breathe and they all died and then after that because the sun could not get through the thick smoke in the atmosphere surrounding the earth then it could have gone through an ice age because it wasn't being kept warm anymore from the sunshine. That could have happened and it could have coincided with something that brought man about at around 10,000 years ago. And that's when man as we know him seems to come on the scene in our scientific record today. If we look at the things, the villages that we see, the things that man was doing, we don't see that he's a caveman anymore. We see that he is, he is now to the point in his knowledge to where he's making tools, to where he's doing this different kinds of things. He's not some animal. He's intelligent, but he's still learning and growing in knowledge. And that came about around 10,000 years ago. So it's not too far off from a 6,000-year-old theory, you see. So the gap theory does explain a lot. The interesting thing about the gap is that if something like that happened and smoke filled the atmosphere of the earth due to some cataclysmic event like uh, some other heavenly body, an asteroid or even something larger, crashed into the earth and, and just destroyed all life. The interesting thing about that smoke that would have been in the atmosphere all those millennium later would have created a very cold environment and nothing but ice. The interesting thing also is that it could have blown some of that water in our oceans up into above the skies. And in space, it could have frozen together and formed a shell around the earth, a shell of ice and water. God did say that he spoke and the waters from under the skies were separated into two parts to where some stayed under the sky and others went above the sky. That could have been it. Now the interesting thing about that is that we see that there is radiation from the sun that can have a very harmful effect on people. If water had been above the earth, above the skies, did you know that that water would have blocked most harmful radiation from the sun? We know that, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. It says that water is used in nuclear power plants. Did you know that? That's where they take their spent fuel, the fuel that's already been used for the nuclear power plant, they take it and they store it in a big pool of water there at the location. You know why they do that? It's not to cool it off or to keep it cool. It's because water blocks radiation. 
water blocks most harmful radiation, the kind of radiation that can kill people. Did you know that it even blocks it so well that there are human divers that can go into that pool and maintain that facility in a nuclear power plant and as long as they don't get too close to the spent fuel itself, they are protected from the radiation of the spent fuel. This is what happens. The U.S. government even has regulations from the NRC, Nuclear Regulatory Commission, that says how close they can be and how much water there has to be to protect people from radiation. Now, if water had been lifted up above the skies and it formed a frozen shell in the coldness of space surrounding the earth, it would have blocked the harmful gamma radiation from the sun that could have killed mankind. The earth had an atmosphere and today, even though we do not have a shell of water around the earth, the atmosphere and the magnetosphere, the magnetic flux lines around the earth that scientists know of, of course, those block certain amounts of the radiation. But without a shell of water around the earth anymore, and we'll talk about how that disappeared in a moment, without a shell of water around the earth anymore, well, guess what? Much of that radiation can get through, but still a lot of it is blocked because of the atmosphere and the magnetic flux lines. That's a good thing because we would die instantly if it wasn't there to block that radiation. But now what would happen if that frozen shield of water was around the earth? Just like a, a ball over a ball, if you will. Well, it would have blocked all of the harmful radiation, all of the harmful radiation from the sun and you know what would have happened? Because there wasn't nearly as much radiation, man would have lived much longer than he lives today. Hmm. What are you saying, Pastor Stephen? That all those people in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, that lived 800, 900 years, all those people that they really could have lived that long? That's exactly what I'm saying. And guess what? After they lived that long, what great event happened? God looked down on the earth. He saw that there was violence everywhere. And he punished the people with a flood, right? A global flood. Interesting thing about that global flood where we read about Noah and his family and the ark and everything. Interesting thing about that, speaking from a scientific standpoint, is the verses say that the water fountains under the earth, under the ground, broke open and all that water came up. But it also says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. This was not just a thunder shower. I want you to understand that. This was a rain like you never, ever had before on the earth. That you never will happen again. Because God said it would not happen again. He would, he would not destroy all life with a flood again in the future. This was a deluge falling down of water like no one had ever seen before. Well, what could have caused that? Maybe something crashed into the frozen shell of water that God had placed above the skies, and it all broke up and fell down, and as it fell down to the earth, it now had the heat of the atmosphere turned into water, rain, and the flood came not only from the fountains being broke up of the deep, but also from the skies as well. What would have happened if that would have happened? Then we no longer would have had that shield after the flood of Noah. What are you saying, Pastor Stephen? 
just this, that without that shield of water up there after the flood, guess what? Life would have been limited to more of the time frames that we see now. Instead of people living to be 800, 900 years old like they did then, now they would have a limit of 120 years, by the way, which is the same thing that God said He was going to impose on man in Genesis chapter 6 before the flood that He sent, right before the flood that He sent. You see how this is all working together? You see, and now nobody today, none that I know of, and I follow the records, we always hear about the oldest man in the, in the world today. The oldest woman in the world today, today just died, and they're usually about 116, 114, 117. Nobody gets above 120 anymore, you know? And you might be the first. You might be uh, a surprise. But you know why I would say that eh, don't bank on that. You're probably not. In fact, you'd be quite happy to reach 100. Very few people reach that now. But now that that shield of water is no longer there, as would have happened in the gap theory of creation, the big gap of time between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 and the rest of the book of Genesis, the big theory there is that the earth would have iced over due to some cataclysmic event. Previous life forms would have been destroyed and they're now in the fossil record and we can see their remains down deep in the ground. We can see that, but here's man on the scene. Man came in on the scene, like the Bible said, about six to 10,000 years ago. You know, whatever the accurate numbers are, I believe what the Bible says. 6,000 years is fine with me. It's fine. God, when He says something, He brings it to pass. It comes to pass because He knows the future and none of us do. The interesting thing about that radiation is that not only is it taking away the years that we could have lived because the shield of water is no longer surrounding us, but they've even hypothesized about space travel. If you send someone into space, you're no longer protected by the Earth's atmosphere, maybe in low Earth orbit, but not in higher orbits. And they always wanted to know, well, what would happen if we send somebody up into space? What is the radiation like there? So they sent up probes before they sent manned space shots into space. And the probes were to measure the radiation from the sun, you see, because that radiation could kill you without the protection of the atmosphere and the Earth's magnetic flux lines, magnetic field around the Earth. And they measured it. And they found out that it is much greater than the radiation that we receive on Earth because almost all of the harmful radiation is blocked by the atmosphere and by the magnetic field surrounding the Earth. So he said, well, what happens then if we want to send someone to Mars? Obviously, they're far away from the Earth they're outside of the influence of the magnetic field around the Earth. They don't have the benefits of the atmosphere around the Earth to block the radiation from the sun. And so we have to do something to protect them. How can we protect them to where they don't die quickly being exposed to all that radiation coming from the sun? They came up with a theory. The same water 
that protects the divers in a nuclear storage pool can also protect the crew of a spaceship. So if you were to send a spaceship, a rocket, to Mars with the people inside that are going to go down to the surface of Mars and maybe someone to live there, it's, a, it's fine. I just want to tell you, they probably don't have a Walmart there, so you better think twice. But if someone does, they need to protect them. Well, how can you protect them? Well, how about this? You put a space capsule together where they stay inside for that long journey, and then you surround it with a shield of water. They've calculated that all that would be needed is about one meter in depth of water, about three feet, 39 inches, one meter of water. Surrounding that capsule as part of the skin of that rocket, inside the skin of that rocket, one meter of water, and guess what? The radiation couldn't get in. The same water that blocked the radiation that was harmful from the earth before the flood would then be a way to block harmful radiation for people who were exposed to it because they're no longer on the earth, you see. It's interesting, it's provocative that people are thinking about those kinds of things. And you see, once again, it shows that the more we know in science, the more it confirms what the Bible says. It works together with it. It's amazing the things that God has done. So when we look at the Bible, we also read that He created all of these plants with seed in themselves. Now, if they had been existing before that time in an era of dinosaurs, before all life was wiped out, they would have been in the ground, frozen ice above them in an ice age that lasted a long, long time. And that could have happened and those plants would have been there. You know, the interesting thing is I grew up in Texas and I used to mow the lawn as a teenager. They would just say, get out there and mow that lawn. You're, you're just messing around. Get out there and do some work. So my parents would tell me, go and mow that lawn. Go and mow that grass. But I liked winter because whenever winter came, it was cold and the grass wasn't green anymore. In fact, the grass died. It died. It looked yellow, brown. It looked like dirt. It didn't look like grass anymore. It didn't have any color to it at all. But you know, the first rain of springtime, a few months later, that grass would start to come back. And I go, how did that happen? Everything was dead. But that seed was down inside the ground. The remarkable thing about seeds is they can look like they're dead. And they can be dead for a long, long time. But as soon as you give them light, because everything needs light to live, and water, because everything needs water to live, they come back to life. And your lawn grows up green. When I came out to California, I had a friend who lived next door to me. He went on a long vacation. And he said he came back and he saw his, his lawn was all... He, he used to spend so much money and time fixing up his lawn. It was a beautiful, lush, green you know, section of grass. Wonderful. It looked beautiful like you'd see in a magazine. But when he came back from vacation, he told me, he says, I forgot to program the water sprinklers to where they would automatically come on. And now my grass is all dead. 
So I guess I'm going to have to dig it up and have them bring out new grass. And being from Texas, I said, oh, no, you won't. I happen to know that if you just start watering again, even though it's dead, it'll come back to life. To ask me, because I used to mow the grass, and it always came back. It always came back to life. He said, really? I've never heard of that. Sure enough, he started watering it. Within three weeks, his lawn looked beautiful again. All that green grass had come back to life, and all that yellow and dirt and brownish-looking grass was now in there just fine. So God could have had these seeds from these plants in the ground from when He created it before, and yet they would not have been able to grow with all that ice there, no light and no water above them. Everything was frozen solid. None of that stuff melted. There was no water for the plants. It was just cold. No light from the sun, so the seed couldn't grow. But then as soon as God removed that and caused that ice to go away, we came out of the ice age, now those plants could grow. But the wonderful thing that I want to tell you about in these plants is that all of Genesis 1, and you can check this out, you think about it, and you'll come to this conclusion. God was setting the stage for when man would come on the scene. God was setting the stage. He put the universe up there so that man could look up and see that there is a God. How else could all of these wonderful things, we showed you the pictures last week, how else could all of these beautiful things happen? Look at the handiwork of God, and that's what Psalm 19 says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. That's what it says. Man could look up and see. That was there for man to see and give glory to God. And now God has put the plants in the ground. He's put the trees in the ground. He's given them a way to reproduce and to bring forth fruit, to bring forth herbs, to bring forth all of these foods that man could eat. He's thinking about man because he's getting ready to create man. He's making this beautiful environment where all of man's needs are taken care of, to where he won't die from radiation poisoning because God put the atmosphere there. He won't die from lack of food because God put the plants there. He'll get some fruit to eat. That's healthy because the trees are there. All of these things God has put into place because he's preparing the scene for man. And next week, we're going to talk about how the theory of evolution has so many gaps and holes in that that it can't possibly explain creation. It can't possibly explain you. And we're going to talk about not only you and you being created, we're going to talk about the genetic makeup of plants. We're going to talk about the species of animals that exist. We're going to talk about all of this stuff. Don't you miss it next week. It's going to be a great journey as we go through this book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. I can't wait to go through that message with you. Why don't you give your life to God right now? If you call out to Him, He's going to hear that cry and He'll answer you and He'll rescue you from the darkness and He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person.
And he'll throw all of that bad history away. You'll be completely new, given a new start. And he'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's his promise, his guarantee to you. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord. To receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. Say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. He's planted a seed in your own heart. Over time, you'll begin to see the wonderful changes He's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him and His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do amazing things.